Right, hi everybody. Um, <laughs> I understand there's, there's new people who probably don't have a clue what we've been doing. So, oh, thank you. Um, so, I'm Sarah and Tim is the one in red. And then there's Noah. Thank you. Noah and Emily. And we've been in Uganda for the past five years in Masaka. Tim will tell you a little bit more about what he's been doing. Um, but the summary, if I'm stealing one of his lines, is he's been using football and other sports as a vehicle for mentoring and discipleship um, of young people, as well as leading the um, preaching and teaching in our church in Uganda. And for me, I've been, uh, I set up a neonatal unit or a baby unit about three and three quarter years ago or something like that. So it's just been setting that up, getting it running and hopefully leaving it in a state where it won't collapse in a heap. Um, so what I was going to do is just tell you a little bit about that side of things. I mean, there's been lots and lots of things that have happened this year, um, but this is almost the safe stuff that I won't cry about, hopefully. So, <laughs> so it seems like a good area to start on. Can you move to the next slide so I can work out what it is? Oh, this is just to say that our baby unit finally this year saw our thousandth baby, and this was our thousandth baby um, who came in with infection, with meningitis, and did very, very well, and went home with his mummy. And it was kind of cool because he was born, he, he, his mum lived in Yendo, which is the little slum area where our church is. So it was interesting because people come from all around the region to our hospital, but it happened to be a, a local baby. Um, can you move to the next one? Uh, another major thing that we did this year was... I guess looking about improving the quality of, of care in our hospital. And one of our nurses was getting really shirty because they kept on sending us really sick, kind of unfixable babies and had done absolutely nothing from the emergency department. And so um, she brought it up. Well, she brought it up in our baby unit meeting. And then I said, well, come on, we're going to be doing some training for the whole hospital. Luckily, she's feisty. So she had no problems with piping up in front of everyone. Um, and saying this is not okay and so we we decided to run a, a course to train up the staff in the emergency department and that that's us putting interosseous needles into chicken legs so needles straight into the bones so that if you can't get a, a cannula into a vein you can get medicines and fluids in that way um, can you go to the next one sorry and then this is our our head nurse uh, Kathy, um, just demonstrating bubble CPAP, which was another big change that we made this year. It's just a DIY way to support babies breathing, and it's made quite a difference, well, we think it has, um, to the outcomes of babies. And that's what we did a, a training session for the whole hospital on because we thought it would really help them. So now some nice stories. Um, this is Asimwe, baby Asimwe. So on the left, this was her when she was just 760 grams. Um, and she just went from strength to strength. She was born... Um, at 27 weeks gestation, which might not seem that early to you guys here because I know you can get babies that survive at 23, 24, but in Uganda, 28's our official survival gestation. So <laughs> a baby like this is a complete miscarriage, although they call it abortion, so complete abortion. So they've sent quite a few complete abortions to us that have gone off home. So um, that's really encouraging, and this is one of them. And this is... Um, Oh, and this is the next one. This is um, Kamusime's baby. This one was 26 weeks gestation and just really skin and bones. You can't really appreciate how obvious her, her ribs were. Sorry, his ribs. Let me not insult him. He's a boy. Um, and this is proud mummy. I think when she was back for review, 
Oh, I thought the power had gone out. Sorry, I forgot we're in England. Um, <coughs> let's move on to let's move to the next. If we move to the next slide, this baby, it wasn't one that we had a great deal of contact with long term, but it was just such an amazing thing because this baby had the most severe, um, what we call birth asphyxia. I know that it's not a term that you particularly use here anymore, but basically it had a very traumatic birth, had required a lot of resuscitation to even start breathing, um, had convulsed and convulsed and convulsed and convulsed for many, many days. And, you know, we sent some babies we sent home just feeling a bit, because we think, oh gosh, we're going to see the baby for review and they're going to be incredibly disabled and we're just going to feel really, really sad. And the baby came back and sure enough looked, you know, physical condition, didn't look that good. And then I was just, you know, cooing over the baby as you do. And the baby just gave me the biggest smile at four weeks of age, which is pretty early. And I thought, wow, okay. And um, arranged to see the baby back in another month. And at that point, I was all ready to do a referral um, to a nearby physiotherapy center that we built up a relationship with this year. And then baby was fine so we didn't have to bother and I just thought that was amazing so that was Jacqueline's baby beaming at us and then this was another amazing story of um, a baby who was preterm and had initially been okay and then really collapsed in a heap and our baby unit head nurse had bagged the baby you know putting putting air into her lungs for two whole hours and then baby perked up and went home in great condition so that's just an example of some yeah, some just nice miracle-type things which we like to see. Um, the next one, this is um, just an example of a baby who I think would have done very badly had our nurses not bothered to spend the extra time to explain because this baby had been convulsing for a couple of days at home and the mother wanted, didn't want to be admitted, so refused admission and our, and our baby unit nurses just spent the time to really explain to her and after a little while she finally agreed and again, baby went home really, really well is fantastic. Um, this is baby Juliet. So this was a, a, a nice one for us because she'd gone home in January and then just came back in, in. It's just really amazing when we see babies months later just to see how they're doing. And this was quite, I think she was about seven or eight months by that point. But it was also important to see her because it turned out that she had only been fed breast milk. And none of the old and I think cow's milk as well. The old ladies in the village were telling the mother, uh-uh, you can't feed the baby. The baby's too young to eat. And we said, no, 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 you really must feed the baby. In fact, I think she was nearly 10 months by this point. I'd only ever had milk. And so it was quite anemic, although she looked really good. She was really anemic and needed a blood transfusion. And so it was just great to get that opportunity to just do a bit of education and kind of reconfirm to us that we needed to focus on that when we discharge mother's home and say, look, whatever people tell you, you must start feeding at this age. Um, the next one is a very serious photo because this is a photo mum had given us. And I think there's something, I don't know what it is exactly, but it's very proper to look very grumpy in photos. Um, <laughs> but this was, the little one there was one that, again, it was great because the baby had been so sick, had required loads of resuscitation. And then, as you can see, just looks like a very normal, if slightly grumpy, child. And I don't think, it, I don't think the child's grumpy at all. It's just the way that photos are taken. And then, um, I don't know if any of you guys remember a baby called Baby Survivor. Again, another complete miscarriage who... Um, 
In fact, that the mother had nearly gone home to miscarry at home because the doctors had said, well, you know, you can have the baby, but the baby won't survive anyway. And, um, you know, the baby had, the mum had stayed and the baby did really well and went home. And even now, this is two years later, the baby's in fantastic condition. Then the mum had another difficult delivery with this little, this little man, Trevor. And again, we were able to help Trevor. And yeah, it was just nice to see that. And then... I've just got a bunch of photos of just really happy families, which is cool for us because um, the mums are kind of, the mums have to deal with babies. It's, it's the mum's job. And usually the dads aren't very involved. They're more pressurizing to say, come home, the bill's mounting, which I do understand. But it's been really great this year. Um, I didn't get a photo of this, but I actually walked into one of the rooms to find a dad feeding his baby with a little syringe. And it was just fantastic. And this is just a bunch of really happy daddies. I know it's a really blurry photo, but I just thought it was a lovely photo, that one, with any twins. Very proud daddy. Um, and then I think there's one more. Again, loads of really proud dads, which has been fantastic. So the last thing I wanted to show you was just uh, a couple of people that I'd really love you to pray for. You can in one second. You wait for one second, darling. Um... This is Kathy, our head nurse, and she's actually leaving. And in fact, right now, she's 36 weeks pregnant, but is sick because she has really high blood pressure. So if you guys could pray for her, that would be great. Sorry, I don't know why I'm crying now. <laughs> Stop looking at me, everyone. It's making it worse. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, and this is um, our future head nurse, Esther, who's fantastic. Um, she's just had a little boy. Um, which is probably a shock to the system because she had a little girl before, um, and it's, you know, doing really well. But this just shows the kind of nurse she is. Can you see there? She's sick with malaria, but she's still coming to, to, to work, and she's amazing. This is the only photo I could get of her smiling because she really hates having photos taken. So she's going to be the head nurse, but while she's off on maternity leave, it will be the next nurse, if you move to the next slide, Irene. So just, it would be really amazing if, you know, if you guys ever think of the baby unit, just praying for those two as they run it, for the, for the doctors on the children's ward as they help to cover, and I think that's it. Yay, Tim, we can swap. <laughs> Noah may have a word to give you. I mean, not a whole word. He's not going to do a preach or anything, but he might, he might have a little comment to make. Noah, do you want to say something? Is he going to do a hallelujah? Sorry. Are you going to do one? Do you want to? Shall I brief everyone first? Noah's going to shout hallelujah, and he wants everyone to shout amen. So, go on, mate. Uh, hallelujah! Amen! On, hallelujah! 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 <laughs> <laughs> well done. Good man. <laughs> yeah, you want me to say hallelujah? No, you've done enough, you've done enough hallelujahs, mate. Lovely. What a seamless transition. Um, lovely. If we can have the next slide, please, Chris. Um, so, yeah, just to, just to plow on uh, and tell you a bit about what I've been up to. Again, many of you will have heard me talk about Synergy before, but for, for those that don't know, uh, the sports project that I've been running, Synergy, uh, as Sarah said earlier, it's basically um, mainly using football as a vehicle for mentoring and discipleship. And we started back in... Uh, 2011 and with just a handful of players and it's really grown we have um, our academy team that's just a few of them up at the top we have a reserve team which I, I don't have a photo of actually and then our senior team many of these guys in red are ones that we started off 
uh, with back in 2011. And there's basically three facets to, to Synergy. One is the football side, and we've had kind of success beyond all expectations within that. Um, we've had a couple of seasons now in big league, which is basically second tier, so equivalent of, of championship here in the UK. Um, and the, the near, actually nearly reached the playoffs to go to Super League last season, but I think it was quite good that we didn't. Um, so that's, that's fantastic. It comes with a lot of challenges, um, but also a lot of opportunities as well. And then uh, another thing is education. We um, try and get... Um, a lot of our lads' uh, scholarships to schools. So we have 111 this year who have scholarships to either primary or secondary school. And then the other big thing that we're doing is, is mentoring and discipleship. And I want to talk a little bit about that um, this morning because when we returned to Uganda last August, uh, one of my kind of big priorities for this year was to run uh, a proper discipleship course, similar to kind of a, an alpha course, I guess, with, um, with as many of our players as possible. Thanks, Chris. Um, yes, and my hope was that at the end, uh, you know, that loads of them would, would want to become Christians. Uh, and actually, so we, we started this course. This is the first session. And straight away, I knew that actually God was going to use this thing because I think sometimes if you're, try, you're starting something that uh, you know God's going to use, you find a lot of opposition. And I don't think it was any coincidence, but the day that we started this discipleship course... Just as I was about to deliver the first session, I got a phone call from Noah's nursery saying that Noah um, was not doing very well, that he, he seemed a bit unwell and he was, he was struggling breathing. Uh, thankfully, Sarah was able to go and uh, pick him up and also Sarah's parents were visiting at the time. So I kind of left that to them and just thought, oh, it'll be fine and just cracked on with, with, with my session. And then towards the end of the session, I got another phone call from Sarah, rather emotional, basically filling me in that Noah had nearly died. That he'd, uh, that he'd stop breathing, that they'd have to give him, give him mouth to mouth on the way to hospital. Um, and so that was like a real, you know, out of nowhere really, it was just a real shock. But, the, you know, much as that was difficult, at the same time, the timing of that made me realise, actually, this course that we're doing with these lads is, is something really important because that happening at that time, it's as though the devil was trying to stop us from doing it. Um, so that kind of gave real impetus for us to, to crack on and to go through the session. So uh, we can just stay on this one, Chris, for a while. So it was a series that we called uh, Talk Faith, and it was 10 sessions that we did uh, with, like I say, most of our players. And it was really good. And loads of the players were engaging really well. Uh, They were asking lots of great questions, um, loads of great discussion. And then we came to that final session where it was kind of their chance to, to make a commitment if they would like. And I was feeling really expectant. I thought, this has gone really well. We're going to get loads of, loads of them standing up and say, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus. One lad. Um, which is fantastic. You know, I don't belittle uh, that, you know, and that lad, his name was Simon. Such courage to stand up in front of countless other players and to make that commitment. And so I praise God for him. But, of course, on the face of it, my first reaction was, was that I was a bit disappointed, actually. Because um, much as I was happy that uh, this guy, Simon, had stood up, I was thinking, this is years, it, it, for some of these lads, this is years of investment we've put in. And then this course, I thought this would be the final kind of piece of the jigsaw to kind of help them reach that point of, of making a firm commitment. And I found myself sort of thinking, oh, gosh, come on, God, where's the fruit? But... I'm really grateful that actually that was only a momentary uh, thought for me because straight away as I was thinking that, God reminded me. He said, just because someone hasn't reached that place of making a firm commitment doesn't mean that there isn't any fruit. 
And I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about that and, and referring to a couple of our players. Because, um, of course, as many of us here will know, getting to that place of submitting your life to, to Jesus and, and making that commitment, it's a journey. And actually, you know, especially when it's a really uh, wholehearted commitment and not just something that's done sort of as a, an emotional response. And I think sometimes within church, and I think certainly there, there in Uganda, we can fall into this mistake of wanting to measure the success of our ministries. And one of the ways we do that is, well, how many people got saved? And that's something we hear all the time in Uganda. And, you know, oh, well, if people didn't get saved, then it's not, you know, somehow it's not worthwhile. Um, but actually, when thinking about the lads, um, you know, I was challenged about uh, that way that we look at things. Because actually, I think the, the things that Jesus looks at are, go well beyond those kind of um, those uh, decisions, actually. And actually, there's a lot of fruit that can come. Um, so, uh, particularly a couple of lads that I want to talk about, uh, where actually when you take a step back and you look at what God's doing in their lives, maybe they haven't yet got to that place of making a firm commitment, but God's doing something really profound. So the first guy, if we can have the next slide, uh, this is one of our senior players, Abdu. And um, he's a Muslim guy, and he's, he's been with us a f- uh, not since the very start, but since about 2013. And he's always been a fantastic player for us. He's been really solid on the football side. But in his, in his kind of life off the football pitch, it's been a bit of a mess, really. Um, and he's, he's one of these young lads that uh, would go clubbing every weekend, drink a lot, womanize a lot, um, and sort of didn't, you know, would get himself into, into problems. Um, but through his time with us at Synergy, we've seen his character really change. Um, and seen his level of engagement uh, with what we've been talking about really um, go up, really. And so uh, it was a few months ago, Brian, my right-hand man, um, was walking through town, and a group of men came up on the street and, and, and kind of collared him and said, um, we used to hate Synergy, that's what these, these men said, because they, they were part of um, a kind of rival team in Masaka, a team called Bwala, which Abdu used to play for. And they said, we used to hate Synergy, because you were big rivals to us and, you know, you, you got success much quicker than we uh, managed to get it. So we despised the success that you had and we hated you for what you were doing. And then they said, but actually our opinion has changed and we've come to really respect what you're doing. And the reason is because we've seen the way that our friend Abdu has changed. So one of these guys lived with Abdu. They shared a room together and they were kind of thick as thieves, really. They would go clubbing together, they would drink together, they'd bring back women to that little room together... And then he went on to explain how, um, at one point, Abdu then said, I need to move out. And he said, why do you need to move out? He said, well, I've just come to realize that this life is, is meaningless, and the things that I'm getting involved in, uh, staying here with you, that actually it's not bringing anything to my life. And what I'm hearing at Synergy and the things, the message that they're giving me, I know there's more to life than what, it, what, I'm, what my life is at the moment. He said, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to move in with my mum, because I'm going to be tempted to just continue this life if I stay in this room. So he moved out, and he changed his life around. And, um, you know, he even started to reconnect with faith. As I say, he's a Muslim, and he started going back to mosque, which was a big thing for, which was very surprising to a lot of his friends. Um, and, and, yeah, so these guys were just saying that they really respected Synergy now because of the way that they'd seen their friend change. Um, now... Sorry. 
So, I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't got to that place of, of becoming a Christian yet. But as I said, he is starting to reconnect with the idea of faith. And, you know, I think that there's going to be real opportunity there in the future. Uh, if we could just have the next one, Chris. This is another one of our senior players. He's actually uh, one of our goalkeepers, and his name is Tito. And again, he's, he's, a, he's a Muslim, and he's only been with us actually for quite a short time since January. And during the, this discipleship course that we were doing, he was one of the most vocal, uh, asking loads and loads of really difficult questions. And at, at first, I thought he was trying to sort of throw us off our game. But as time went on, I realized that actually it wasn't that. He wasn't trying to catch us out. It was actually that he had a real hunger for the truth. And on that last day when I asked, is, you know, is there anyone who wants to make a commitment to Jesus today and wants to live for Jesus? Other than that guy, Simon, who stood up, he was the only person. He put his hand up and he said, Tim, can I get saved and still be a Muslim? What a great question. <laughs> And not an easy question to answer, but I thought, fantastic. I said, mate, I'd, that, I can't answer that question in two minutes now. So I said, come to my house and we'll have some time together. And so we had loads of one-to-one time over sort of the weeks then before I left, about six or seven sessions where he came and we would talk about the Bible. We'd talk about his, you know, Islam. we talk about Christianity. And he was so hungry for the truth. And he kept saying things like, I want to see that Jesus is the way. You know, I want you to show me, Timo, that, that Jesus is the way. And I want to experience the Holy Spirit and things like that, which was just amazing because this guy is, is known for being a staunch Muslim. Um, now, again, he hasn't reached that place of stepping out and saying, yes, I want to live my life for Jesus. But again, he's well on the way. He's on that journey. And I know that, that God has the power to continue that journey with him and, and take him through to a place of commitment. So I praise God for that. But um, yeah, just, just as I was, I was thinking, you know, neither of these guys have reached that place of, of making a commitment. But there's seeds that are being planted. And that thing that first came into my head where I was thinking, well, where's the fruit? You know, sometimes I think we need to change our perspective a little bit about actually what fruit and what growth is in kind of a spiritual sense. Um, so the point I, I wanted to make, just as I'm talking about these two, two players, is twofold, really. And the first is, um, you know, because I want to make it, don't just want to say stories, I want to make it relevant to all of us here, is to understand that spiritual concept of growth and fruit. Because I think sometimes we have a very narrow perspective, actually, on, on what that looks like. Um, just go back, back one uh, to Abdu. I know for a fact that if I was to talk to some of my fellow Christian friends about Abdu, the moment that I, I, I mentioned, well, he's going back to mosque, they would be like, well, that's a failure. He's, 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 you know, he's involving himself in, in a, a false religion. But I don't see it that way. I see the fact that he's, he's thinking about faith again is a door of opportunity. And is our God not big enough that he can use the fact that now he's changed his life and he's interested about faith and asking questions? Is our God so small that he can't then use that as a way to signpost him to Jesus? Rubbish. Of course he can. So it's, you know, that's the first thing. It's about actually kind of changing our perspective a bit about what is fruit and what is growth. Um, then there's the, uh, the second thing. So if you can just uh, go a couple slides forward, Chris. Yeah, secondly, that's good, yeah. Secondly, um, I, as I was reflecting about um, the story of these two guys, and there's plenty of stories like that. I've only sh- shared two today, but there's so many of the other guys who are on that journey and uh, are growing each and every day. But just thinking about the fact that actually our ways, uh, 
God's ways are not our ways and God's time is not our time. Because, of course, there's, there's life-giving power, isn't there, in the seed of the gospel. But as we see from this verse, it's, it's God who will make it grow. Sometimes we want to force things and we want to see things in our time. But uh, when Paul is, is talking here in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 6 to 7, he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Hallelujah. But I think sometimes we forget that, and as, as, as humans we can, we can get impatient, and we want to see that fruit quickly. But the truth is sometimes we, we plant a seed, don't we? And nothing happens, and we water the seed. We invite a friend to Alpha, or you know, we talk to a relative, and we, we keep trying, and we don't see the fruit. And the thing I've realized, especially now that we've come to the end of our time in Uganda, I was gutted. I wanted to see loads of our guys become Christians before I left Uganda. But sometimes you don't see the fruit. That doesn't mean it won't come. And I just want to use that as an encouragement to all of us this morning. You know, sometimes there's some of us here this morning who have friends or relatives that you've been praying for for years, that you've been witnessing to for years. Maybe there's some ministry in which you're involved and you've been pouring your heart and soul into it, but you haven't seen the fruit that you would have liked. I remember when, when my, my folks came back from India, that was one of the things they said. All the work they were doing with, with the women in the red light district there, there was, they had so hoped to see maybe more fruit than they did, but they knew that actually the relationships that they had built and the seeds that they were planted were actually going to bear fruit. And so I just want to use that. Um, I'm finishing up, but I just want to use that as an encouragement to all of us this morning. I look at players like Abdu and Tito and so many of our players. I haven't seen them become Christians but I know that God's on their case. And I know that seeds have been planted and in the right time that God is going to help them to grow and that fruit will come. Even if I don't see it, even if I'm not around to see it, I know that there'll be others because um, it's God that's making it grow. So that's why I wanted to, to finish really, just as an encouragement to all of us because I know we all need to hear that at times, just to, to persevere, to keep going. Um, so just to finish up, yeah, we're, I, I don't know if Sarah said, but we're back now. Um, so we've, we've moved to Bristol, um, and, but the work is continuing. So just we, we've spent a lot of time since we made the decision to move back, um, facilitating good handovers and training up for myself, Brian, who's been my right-hand man for many years. And it's been great. I've seen, I was quite worried about it, actually, um, say six months ago. But it's amazing the way that God has been speaking to Brian and putting fresh vision into him, stuff that I'd never thought of. And uh, when I first told Brian I was leaving, he, s- he said that he went away and he locked himself in a room and he, s- he spent two days fasting and praying that God would change my mind and he would soften the heart of Sarah and he would ch- get, make our kids become wonderfully behaved kids so that we could st- stay in Uganda. And then God rebuked him. It was great. Because uh, at that point, I told him we'd be living at, leaving at Christmas. And then um, God said to him, well, you better get ready, Brian, because they're leaving sooner than Christmas. So, so then he came back to me and he told me that. I said, you know what, Brian, actually we've made the decision that we're actually going to leave in July. But he was cool with it because God had been speaking to him. So it's amazing that actually just God has been putting things in place. And so we're so blessed. Much as it's a wrench uh, for us to leave Uganda, we have confidence that, you know, it's not about us. God's going to make the seeds grow. He's going to use other people. And he's been raising those people up already for the baby unit and for Synergy and the wider ministry of River of Life. So, I mean, the final thing to say is just a massive thank you. Because the support that we've got from so many of you here and generally as Forest Hill Church has enabled us to do the things that we've been doing in Uganda. 
um, and will continue to, to help the work that's going on out there. So when I talk about seeds, you are invested as a church and many of you as in, individuals in that. Um, so I just want to say a massive thank you to you all. And that's it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.